Hi guys, it's Tabs from the Superpower Podcast and we are on our second season. Yes, you heard right. This is season two where we get to interview some amazing, powerful, strong, ambitious women on this channel, man. We get to learn about their incredible journeys and, and what the future holds. So make sure you check out our podcast. It will be dropping every two weeks, Monday morning, 7 a.m. sharp, wherever you consume it. Google, Spotify, NKFM, Apple Podcasts, we will be there. So make sure you guys check it out and get to learn from these incredible ladies. See you soon. What's up, everyone? My name is Tebs, and you're listening to the Superpower Podcast. My guest this week is Bothale Paile. She heads up graduate recruitment and development for Bowman's. She studied her BCom undergrad and honors degree at Fitz University and majored in human resource management and industrial psychology. Her career started at a small recruitment agency and further progressed through Investec Bank, Standard Bank Corporate and Investment Banking, and now currently at Bowman's for the past six years. In her time at Bowman's, she has managed to get the firm to be voted as graduate employer of choice within the legal industry for four years in a row. I mean, that, that, that's impressive already. And has also been nominated by students as one of the most influential recruiters through the South African Graduate Employers Association. She's a wife, mother of two young girls, a content creator, and someone genuinely passionate about helping graduates and young professionals elevate in their corporate careers. Wow. Like, I am, I'm always so impressed when I meet people and it's like, <laughs> yes, I'm an award-winning graduate recruiter <laughs> and one of the best firms in South Africa. How are you doing, Bosale? <laughs> I'm so, so well, Deborah. Thank you so much for the opportunity today. Oh, no, my pleasure. So, so, so funny story about how I got introduced or um, to Botlale. So um, I, I was interviewing a, another guest who's featured on the profile uh, on the podcast. Her name is Didi. Um, and after interviewing her, she said, um, here are three other ladies who I think you might be interested in interviewing. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. Like, I love it when women support women and they put each other forward, like love it. And one of the profiles was Vosale. So I'm looking through the three, three ladies and I see Vosale. I'm like, hmm, I'm interested in this lady, you know, like, who is she? Um, and she's like, oh, she's actually our cousin. And I'm like, really? <laughs> you know, those distant family relations where like you realize that you could be related to someone. So, so that's how I actually got introduced to Vosale. So we somehow related, hey? Somewhat, somewhere, somewhere down the line, there's a gene there. Um, I know, that, I'm like, that, we must ask our grandparents. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so, 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 so I also have recently met her, so maybe just tell us a little bit about yourself, where you're from, where you grew up, which school you went to, and yeah, if, if people had to describe Bosale, like, what would they say about you? So, so, thank you for the intro. Uh, it's Bosale Bayile. I uh, grew up in Soweto for most of my life in Mufolo and Pimville. That's where, you know, both sides of the families resided for majority of the time. Um, and went to school quite early. Um, 
And by early, I mean, went into a very different setting quite early in my schooling career. So uprooted from Soweto, my parents decided to move to the West Rand and started schooling as the only black child in the entire school. I think it was me and one other that was, um, you know, in an earlier grade than I was. So started my schooling career in terms of grade one, being the only black child in a white school. And this was in 91, right? So it was even like pre-94. And so equally, the neighborhood I lived in, also predominantly white neighborhood. Um, And so having to find who I am in this new world where I had not being as exposed to a different kind of, you know, people and way of life and all of those kinds of things um, changed changed and informed who I am today in, in many different ways. Um, yeah. so, so I went to a primary school called Panorama Primary School and, and seemed to have remembered enjoying it there. Um, I knew I felt different um, and because I couldn't see anyone like me outside of maybe the cleaners of the school. But in terms of my, my peers and my teachers, everyone white, right? Um, and so very quickly, they then started informing and saying to my parents, you need to speak English to Bukhali, otherwise she's going to struggle at the school. And I imagine, obviously, oh. I've grown up in Soweto, and like all I knew at the time, Kisisoto, Stwana, a little bit of everything, right? Go, go Soweto, you speak a little bit of everything. because Everything, true. Um, kind of, you know, community. So they said to Bukhali, you need to stop speaking uh, those languages to Bukhali because she's going to struggle at the school. You need to start speaking English to her full time. And so now okay. the dynamic at home then started changing because now it's everything is English. And I'm like, why am I forced to listen to this all the time? Why can't I not in English all the time? And so anyway, oh, why did you change that on me? Why is everything changing? I don't get it. <laughs> um, but anyway, uh, loved, loved my time then. Obviously, as the years went by, more and more uh, Black kids and Indian kids started coming to the school and it started feeling a bit more diverse. Um, I'm really someone already at that age that really was driven to be a leader of some sort. Mm -hmm. And I remember feeling like I deserved to be a prefect, you know, and it was prefect elections and all of that kind of thing. And, you know, in order to elect prefects, you kind of got this envelope that invited you to this, you know, award evening. And so we got the envelope and I was sure that I was going to be a prefect and I was going to be elected and all of those things. And then I get there and, and I'm rather awarded like, top student in Zulu, right? And I didn't get prefecture. And I, I promise you, that was such a defining time in my in my uh, schooling, junior schooling career, because it just, yeah. I thought to myself, so I've been the only black kid in the school and I'm and I'm good for Zulu. Like I'm the top Zulu person. I'm like, well, obviously I'd, I'd know yeah. that, right? And I'd be top in that. <laughs> I would have, <laughs> as, as a minimum. <laughs> As a minimum, I'm worried if you weren't. <laughs> <laughs> but but why why I'm telling that story is really just to articulate that you know being a leader for me has is something that I just I expect myself to be, um, and and I don't know where it comes from, but I just and maybe it's because I've had to assert myself quite a bit growing up in a community that didn't look like me, sound like me, and the rest. Um, but anyway, swiftly moving along, went on to Allen Glen High School um, and had a swell of a time there. I really enjoyed my time 
um, and got engaged in quite a few things in terms of sporting and all of those things there, uh, decided not to be, not to run for prefectship at the time. And I think it was predominantly from a fear of failing again at that. Yeah. Um, even though there was a burning desire to be that. But because of what had happened at primary, I just thought, uh, not going to. Let gonna me not even go there. there. Yeah, yeah. Oh, my um, God. So, so that is me and my schooling career. Um, I'm the oldest of four girls at home. And um, yeah, and you know, being being the oldest is really your parents learn parenting through you, right? You get all the whippings, you get all the scoldings, you're responsible and accountable for all the mishaps of your younger sisters. Um, exactly. So really grew up to be quite a responsible person and being someone that takes accountability for the things that I need to do and even more. Um, so so that that is Bukhale in a nutshell in terms of, uh, you know, how I've been brought up and the things that inform who I am. Um, wow. Wow. Yeah. I actually love that. Um, I completely resonate with being the, the, the oldest or the eldest sibling because, yeah, you, you are like deputy parent. You are you're expected to be responsible. <laughs> you're expected to know better, do better. Um, yeah. And, and yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I know, for instance, with myself even, I'm such like a, a follower of rules. Like I don't like straying away from um from like <laughs> rules so so i get that and i'm just like yeah. uh, parents clearly need to ease up on their first on the oldest <laughs> <laughs> because it's a lot to deal with wow no, that's, that's crazy um, and also just 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 your story about leadership and and wanting that for yourself and um um also dealing with failure and rejection um mm. That was very interesting for me that you you said you didn't then go for what you wanted because you were so afraid of like mm. failing. Mm. Um, mm. How is that something that you've come to learn to deal with the older that you get? Because the older you get, the wiser you become. Um, right. So, so how have you then navigated um, dealing with fear of failure? So, I mean, as I look through my my you know, corporate career and that journey, I think I've had to learn quite quickly that what I stop myself from becoming becomes my reality, right? And I can therefore not later on expect to be in places that I think I deserve to be in if I'm not putting myself out there. Mm. And so I've really had to be someone that looks past what I fear failing and see it as a lesson. And so I learned that very quickly in one of my first jobs that I did and and pushed myself, pushed myself, pushed myself to a point where I was just like, I was really trying to prove to others. I had to go through a process of trying to prove to others that I was worth and I was worthy of being seen as more than what they saw me as. And mm. that for me then still I went through a process of because I'm trying to prove to others, I then become someone that is not taking care of myself. Um, and, and because I'm not taking care of myself and I'm working longer hours, I'm trying to prove to others. I then went through a, a time that really forced me to be taken out of my working environment for at least two or three weeks 
because I went through an experience that paralyzed, not paralyzed, but kind of made numb the left side of my body. Yeah. Had to then go through a transition of, okay, okay, okay. That's not how you assert yourself. That's not how you assert your value. And that's not how you deal with fearing failure by trying to overexert yourself for others. Let's step back a bit and let's use the opportunity to learn how do I assert myself with creating boundaries, you know? Um, and, And it was trial and error, to be honest with you. But the fruits of seeing how much I've grown and how much I've learned by not holding myself back from wanting to be that uh, person. Really, I started seeing a change in myself and I started seeing a change in my outlook of what was possible for me. And once your, your, your outlook of what's possible for you changes, you keep seeing, even through challenging times, you keep seeing and you keep reminding yourself that, I know it's possible. I've seen myself transition. I've seen myself transform into being the kind of person that is able to, to really you know, forge their place in a particular space, whether it be in a career perspective or you know, at home or whatever the case may be. Um, so really had to put myself out there in a way that was initially detrimental to me, but I saw the transformation that I went through And that I loved because that resonated with me and that continued to affirm who I am and what I strive to become in life. Um, And that's always kind of then continued to be my driver, knowing what I can become, what I want to become and failing as part of the process, you know, Mm -hmm. going through something to fail as part of the process because you learn something about yourself. Yeah. Oh my word. That's, that's, that's beautiful and completely agree. Like, um, I don't know if it's a South African um, state of mind that like we should fear failure, but mm. I think everywhere around the world, it's it's like expected. It's like, how mm. are you learning? How are you growing? Mm. If you're not trying and putting yourself out there, like yeah. you said, um, and, and failing forward, really. Mm. That's, that's all it is. Okay, so um, in terms of then deciding your career path, how did you um, navigate that? Like um, when you're now thinking, okay, like now high school's done. I now have to, um, I guess, you know, get a degree. You know how all black parents are like, Amen. you must go to school, <laughs> figure it out. Do you want to be an accountant, lawyer, doctor, engineer? Like Which those one? are the, Which one? Yeah, yeah, the pick, <laughs> yeah, actually, if you're like super smart, um, yeah, how, <laughs> How did you then come to the decision of this is what I want to do um, and life after matric? So as I, as, I was, as we were chatting before, before the podcast, um, I, at the age of 17, firstly wanted to be a sound engineer because I just had an obsession with music and how it made me feel. And I wanted to be someone that knows what happens on the back end of that and then went for job shadowing with a company that taught me that. And I was just like, well, no, maybe I don't like the technicalities of it. Maybe I like the output of what people create in terms of music. Yeah. Um, but then very quickly after that, I traveled. So I took a year off after matric and I traveled for the first time outside of South Africa and became obsessed with traveling. And that's what I actually wanted to do as a full-time career um, and as you said, you know, you go to your parents and you're like, listen, I want to be a flight attendant and I 
want to go work on cruise ships. And I just want to travel and meet people and engage with people because I knew I loved that and I loved discovering different cultures and different languages. And that for me is always fascinating, right? Because yeah. It closes your mind to this life outside of the West Rand in, in South Africa, you know? And I, I loved that ability to kind of expand my mind. Um, and my parents being, my parents were just like, there is no way in hell that you're going to become <laughs> a flight attendant. Do you know that they traffic drugs through being a flight attendant, that they're going to use you as a pawn for this? And I was just like, oh, okay. 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 <laughs> yes. um, I then thought to myself, okay, let me be um, a psychologist, right? Because part of something that I absolutely love doing is sitting and engaging with people, but also listening to them for who they are, what they're struggling with, and almost assisting people become or realize their potential, right? And realize that they are able to come out of who they think they are by just changing the perception of their environment and, and themselves, right? Mm. Um, and once again, that was not something that my parents thought I should be doing. And so anyway, I took the year off after matric to try and find myself as well and try and discover what it is that I want to do because I didn't want to yeah. go into university for the sake of going into university and just pick something. Yeah. Uh, and so I did a process of elimination. I went away, came back, and now had to had to start studying and still wasn't quite sure, but did a process of elimination. I thought, do I want to be in the science field? And I was just like, yes. of science, what is there there for me? Like, what do I actually love there? No, I don't want to be doing chemistry and all of those. Like, ah, no, 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 that's not for me. Then I thought, do I want to be in the BA side of things? And I thought, okay, social science and psychology and I was like okay there's some elements that are exciting there but I don't know if it's everything right and so I then landed doing a BCom because I thought okay this is a good mixture between you know some of the softer stuff but also there's economics and there's analytical thinking somewhere in some of those courses there so it was a combination of everything that just felt like I'll figure it out in between that yeah and I remember after year one of doing a general BCom I then still felt like what am I going to major in? Went to the career service center. They do like this whole personality test on you to get a better sense yeah. of, okay, what do you love doing? And all of those kinds of things. And then at the end of that, they said to me, well, finally, I think do human resources. You love to engage with people. You love to meet new people. That's something that comes naturally to you. So maybe, you know, if you're going in the commerce field, go into HR and I thought, perfect. Um, and that's how I then decided to pick HR and psychology and I loved the combination of both of them because HR is almost the practical and legislative side of what human resources really are. And then the psychology side is how people think. And as I've already described, I love meeting new people, understanding how they think to try and help them transform their thinking and see things differently. Um, but it was something I was then able to do in a work context because I knew my parents wanted me to go to varsity so I can get a job. Um, that was not psychology. And so I thought, okay, then the commerce will allow me to be in a commercial field. Yes. Um, so that's how I ended up doing a BCom and then continued to major and do my honors in it as well. Wow. Okay, so a few things from that. You took a gap okay. here. Um, yes. Um, and, and that's already like interesting for me, like because parents do not understand gap years gap at years, all. Yeah. It's like you must know what you want and go for it and oh, it's so yeah. much pressure for a 17 18 year old 
to know exactly what it is they want to do with your career, with their career. Yeah. So kudos to your parents because you, you still got to, um, I guess, have this year of discovering and traveling Very and, true. and all of that. And, and, and also um, um, in varsity, you went to VITS. What was your experience like? Were you the type of person who was like focused on school and books and you'd go home? Um, or did you, you know, participate in varsity activities, social activities, and, and the Not like? A chance. <laughs> Not a chance of social activities. Uh, being the firstborn in the house, my mandate was to go to school and come back. Um, you go there, you go for your classes, you go for your tuts, you come back after that. My dad was not someone that that was even willing to entertain the idea of staying at res. He'd grown up at res as he was studying his his qualification. He's like, I know what happens at res, and you are not <laughs> going to res. <laughs> so, so that idea of having a social life was just it was not even there, right? Um, so I was the kind of person that went to class, attended almost every single class, unless I really was sick and couldn't go attended class, did my tuts, came back. And obviously you have your social life in between your classes and your friends and you see them. Yeah. And but but there wasn't, I've never been to like a party, like at university, like there's all these freshers, bashers, and yeah. I've never been to that. I've never. Wow. <laughs> um, your dad literally hey. pulled one on you. <laughs> hey. hey. <laughs> <laughs> oh my word okay so so then how then did you then I guess grow your social circles and start networking because that's also a very big part of I guess mm -hmm. the varsity experience you know mm -hmm. so if you are a day scholar and you are just attending classes like how did you mm -hmm. then navigate like create uh, making new connections and meeting people mm -hmm. so so I'm really someone that that um I keep friends. So I, I I grew up in a church from the age of like five or six uh, for a good maybe 20 years of my life and had really solid friendships uh, with a lot of kids that kind of continued. We came to the same church. We grew up in the same church. And so those have been my core friends. And so they were at Vits as well. And so I almost knew that, you know, in between my time, I could connect with them um, and, and continue to kind of you know, build on our relationship from that perspective. But people that were in class, I always identified two or three people that I then, like, that became my group of friends. And so I was never someone that was a social butterfly that wanted to know many people and whatever. I like to have two or three really close people and friends that I have quality relationships mm. with, as opposed to being someone that just has many friends that are really, like, neither here nor there, but, you know, feel like acquaintances. So, so I did that. And, and so throughout university, I had those two or three really close friends that we did similar courses. We went to the same class, we studied together, you know, and so that's, that's the kind of person that I am. And so people see me today and they think, well, Sally, you're such an extrovert and you're a social butterfly and whatever. And I'm like, I actually am not that. Like, really? I, I, no, no, not at all. I, I, I love people and I love engaging with people. But if you were to ask me a night of fun, a night of fun is not going out into crowds, right? A night of fun is having really close friends that I have, that I can catch up with and connect with and chat about stuff and life and 
like I, I love deep connection. I love deep connection. And so, um, but I also am not a loner, right? So I don't, I like being alone after being around a lot of people. Then I, I need to retreat to recharge. Yeah. That's me. Yeah. Um, okay. So I don't recharge by being with people. I recharge by being away. And then when I'm with people, I'm a ball of energy for that, that period of time. <laughs> <laughs> no, love that. That's that's really awesome. And and I love how 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 you emphasize having, I guess, authentic and deeper connections with people. Yeah. Because it is true. Um, you meet a whole lot of people <laughs> as you're growing mm. up. Um, mm. and I guess like you, you want to know that your friends, your tribe are like really your tribe and they have your back. Um Great. so that's really that's really special to hear that. Okay, so um, you're done with varsity and now you are thinking about work and you are now having to navigate corporate, you know, uh, recruitment agency, Investec, Standard Bank, and finally Bowman's. Mm. Um, if you had to, I guess, um, sum up like your corporate experiences, your corporate experience and some of the big lessons you've learned um, navigating that, um, what do you think those would be? So I think some of my key lessons that I learned uh, throughout my corporate career really started, and I'm going to kind of break it down according to the different um, companies I worked for and really just try and solidify the two or three key things that I learned there. Some of my key mm. lessons when I started at, at the agency was really, you know, when you start off, off your career, learning to take ownership of your career really requires you to stay curious, Right. Um, and and really go the extra mile. Those are the two things I learned as I started my career. So often candidates or, or people start their careers and they just have a tunnel vision as to what it is that they are hired to do. And sometimes mm. it really takes you stepping out of what you hired to do to learn more about the, the speciality that you are in, right? So when I started my career, um, I was hired to be a data capturer as, as a, um, in between my, my undergrad and my postgrad, for two months, I was hired as a data capture and administrator to come in, like, you know, transition files into this, this platform. Um, but what I ended up learning in the two months was not just data capturing because I went mm. in for a while. I decided to build relationships with people that were within the HR space, but not necessarily what I was doing. And I stayed curious and I sat there and I asked them, what is it that you're doing? What are you working on? I've finished what I'm capturing for the day. Do you need help? Can I help you with something? What is it that you do? Tell me why you love what you do. That's just, yeah. awesome. that's something that I did as I started my career. And very quickly, I then got exposed to more than what I was actually hired to do. And some people tend to not want to do that because it means they have to work harder, but you don't yes. realize, you don't realize that you are, robbing yourself of learning and getting exposed to other areas that you may not know you love, but because you have a tunnel vision about I'm a data capture and I'm not going to do any sort of recruiting or anything else, you miss out on those opportunities. And I'm so grateful yeah. that I, I took that opportunity because I then discovered I loved recruiting and I wouldn't mm. have had I not kind of gone through that. So don't be afraid of going the extra mile because I think that's absolutely important and you and you really learn where your passion lies by doing that. As I yeah. then transitioned into investment bank, Investec, um, there were three aspects that I think were key to me in that. 
uh, journey for me. I remember um, starting there at Investec, and as I described earlier, going through a period where you overexerted yourself and didn't learn to speak mm, right? Yeah. So you know, people tend to, you know, when you're in a particular environment and you're someone that really works hard but continues to go the extra mile, certain environments love that. And I think a lot of environments love that. And because of that, you become the go-to person for everything. Everything. Right? Exactly. And so you kind of hired as an administrator in the team, but you end up touching on everyone's work and actually doing more than you're supposed to which, like I said previously, is good for exposure. But when you get to an area or a, a company that is very much about excellence and delivery and high pressure and it's go, 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 you need to be really careful to learn how to set boundaries. And so I had to learn it the hard way, um, you know, by, by, you know, having gone through a period where stress had taken over my body and had to kind of sure. feel out to try and recoup start getting the feeling back in my body again and then go back. But I went back a different person. I went back a person that says, listen, I love all the work that I've been doing for you guys, um, but I know this is what I'm hired for. And I think within these particular boundaries, can I operate in this particular way? Um, mm. It was a step back for them because they did enjoy all the other things that I was doing and it made their lives easier. Easier. <laughs> I learned so much though. So even though, you know, I didn't set boundaries before, I learned so much about what I do. And I fell in love with grad recruitment. And that's where I started my career of grad recruitment, actually. Ah. And because I touched on a little bit of everything, I knew grad recruitment inside out, right? And even though that wasn't necessarily my role, I then knew the development side of it and the marketing side of it and the recruitment side of it and all of those kinds of things. And so I absolutely really, really enjoyed that part of my career, but I really had to learn about setting boundaries. Um, another thing that was so key to me in my time at Investec, I had the most amazing boss. I had two bosses. The one, the lady was impeccable and, and learning what did what kind of leader I wanted to be? I learned from her, right? Wow! Because yes. this is the kind of person that saw potential in me, and was not threatened by my potential, mm. right? She was the kind of person that saw potential in me and pushed me into avenues that I wasn't meant to even be in at at the level that I was at. I was a little as a junior administrator there. And within three months, she's kind of saying, well, come and sit in the senior management um, panel interview and give your thoughts if you wanted to give your thoughts about something. Straight after that, come and sit in the executive panel. Go, go and ask the CEO what his thoughts were about this particular candidate, because that's how you're going to learn what they're looking for. And I was like, no. Nah. I mean, I'm like, I'm am like I ready? Can I do it? <laughs> I mean, why would you send me to the lion's den? Like, this is the CEO and the managing partner of the company. And, mm -hmm. and But she knew what she was doing. She was like, I see that you're capable of becoming something really extraordinary. I see you've got so Beautiful. much potential. And I want you to, to lend. Um, I want you to enter those avenues so you gain the confidence that you need, that you actually are worth more than what you set out to be and what the role expects of you. So that for me was everything. And I've then aspired so much to become that kind of leader as I yeah. grow in my career because I knew what it did for me. Um, so at Standard Bank, 
uh, three things that were really important for me and that I learned there um, is really being being a leader. I mean, at Standard Bank, I was a, a graduate recruitment manager for CIB. And I learned the inverse from the type of leader I had there, right? And, you know, being a leader, once again, is not about when you've got a team under you and you want the team to be a high-performing team. Leading and ruling through fear is not the way that you get the best out of your team, mm, mm. right? So you don't humiliate people in front of others to try to get the best out of them. Yeah. You don't, you know, kind of, you learn to pull someone aside and say, listen, this is, I don't like what I'm seeing here. This is what I expect of you. This is what you need to do. And and I had the inverse of that, right? So ooh, really spent ooh. a lot of my time feeling like I'm stepping on eggshells, you know, spent yeah. a lot of my time fearing that if I came in a minute later than I was supposed to, oh my goodness, you know, and so you kind of feel anxious a lot of the time. And and I learned from that, that as a leader, you need to allow people to be who they really are, but inspire them through showing them that you see potential in them. Because that for me was a huge motivator when I was at Investec, knowing that yes. my possible potential in me made me want to do more to, yeah. want to, to that, right? Yeah. Um, so that was different for me when I went to, to to Standard Bank and I had to learn that there are different people and there are different types of leaders and you have to almost adapt yourself and, and to, still find your way. Yeah. And, and, not, and, and I guess not like also change who you are, right? Because no. you are working in teams and you're working with different people and you are who you are and you probably have to, I guess, adapt to people's mm. different leadership styles, but mm. still staying true to yourself. Exactly, exactly. And not letting and not letting someone else's perception of you break you and not letting mm. it steal your confidence and not letting mm. it make you second guess your ability and your potential because of how they lead you. Um, so, so the next thing after that then was learning to just really remain confident in who I am, despite what my environment was like, and learning to just build trust um, with my stakeholders, because that at the end of the day was really where I learned a lot about stakeholder management, because I tried to get away from, you know, the team environment at that stage, which felt a little bit toxic. And so I zoned into my stakeholders. Who am I actually here to serve? I'm here to serve my stakeholders. How do I serve my stakeholders in a way that they see value in what I do? Mm. And then spent a lot more time doing that and developing, learning to develop relationships with my stakeholders. And, and that for me was everything. Um, and then lastly, I think if I was to move over to my time at Bowman's, this has been a phenomenal experience. My six years here have been phenomenal um, and by phenomenal I don't mean easy right by phenomenal I don't mean <laughs> yeah. right in the park <laughs> but phenomenal from a growth perspective I've grown yeah. a lot in who I am I now am able to head up uh, you know graduate recruitment and development for the firm and really allow who I am to come out in what I do mm. right um, and because I learned so quickly around stakeholder management I zoned in on that as I came into Bowman's and it's so funny, my first day at Bowman's, one of the, the senior, senior partners here came to me and said, we're so happy to have you here, Botale. Uh, we've really waited for some time to have you. I transitioned during my maternity leave, actually. 
Um, and that's why they waited a bit longer for me to kind of join. But he said, you know, learn to learn to build relationships and to focus on your stakeholders. Don't worry about certain politics. Don't worry about the space that in the HR space, what politics are happening there. Learn your, your focus and why you are here is to service your clients. And I immediately remembered what I had to do at Standard Bank. And I was like, okay, I'm back in that zone, you know? Yes. Um, and so by doing that, I mean, I learned to, I was able to build credibility very quickly uh, with, with the stakeholders. And once you build credibility with your stakeholders, the world is like, the world is your oyster. You know, once you start yeah. to build credibility with your stakeholders, they trust what it is that you have to say, what it is you're suggesting, what it is you're recommending. They trust you for who you are because they trust you as a person and you've been able to connect with them and understand them for what it is that they are looking for. And so because of that, my time here has really been so wonderful because I've been able to explore so many different elements of who I am and kind of go over certain boundaries that I thought would be boundaries here, but they've allowed me and they've trusted me to become that. And I've been able to really feel like I've flourished a lot. Um, and as I came to Bowman's, I had one goal and my one goal was I wanted to make Bowman's employer of choice within the graduate recruitment space. Hmm. Um, and at you Invest have achieved that like four years in a row. I mean, that's uh, amazing. Amazing, that's amazing. A, that's a, <laughs> <laughs> so you are reaching your goals. <laughs> I've reached it and I've reached it four times and I'm just so grateful. And that's why it's been such a phenomenal journey for me. Sure, sure. I mean, I, you know, just, just listening to you, I mean, I, I can see you, but I mean, our listeners will be listening to you. I can yeah. just see like the passion of <laughs> what the job that you do is just coming through. And I'm just like, I want to go work at Bowman's. I want to be a lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> because if you have like such amazing people um, yeah. there and, and I get it, like recruitment and HR, you really have to love what it is that you do because yeah. you, you you are like, I guess, in charge of giving people opportunities to work for amazing firms um, and also just what their experience is like also in the firm. So um, no, well done, like absolutely amazing, absolutely amazing. Um, if someone is listening to you and they're just like, sure, like, um, I wasn't really sure what I want to do. Um, I'm thinking of maybe doing HR or graduate recruitment. Um, what kind of advice would you give to, I guess, like young people who are considering joining the industry? Uh, HR, you really, like you were saying now, I think the crux of it, you need to love people and love being a person that services the business. HR is never in any industry a core function of that company, right? Yeah. HR is always seen service. as a yeah. function, right? Yeah. And so as an HR professional, if you think of, of, of becoming an HR professional, you really need to be the kind of person that loves to serve. You need mm -hmm. to love to understand what does the company need and how can I best fit that um, you know, it's not about kind of coming in and becoming this big person, this high billing person. No, you never, you're never going to realize that in a place like um, in a in an industry like HR. But what you are going to realize is, you know, when you, and that's what I love, what I do, like being able to to see talent in someone, 
and know that this person is just going to be perfect for this environment. Mm. And, you them up and you tell them, go in there, be confident. You've got this. You know you love this naturally. You're passionate about it. Don't forget that. Be yourself. And then you see them go through and they just like, they go through that interview and they just bring they, themselves to to, to the interview and you see them then getting the offer and just the level of appreciation for the opportunity that you've created for them. You know, yes. HR, HR and what I do is about serving people. It's about serving the business, it's about serving individuals and helping them realize what their full potential is and helping them realize uh, their potential through being able to come to an amazing place like Bowman's and start your career here. Um, mm. but also once they are here, helping them navigate their way through corporate and all the different intricacies that come with being in a corporate space and relationship management and conflict management and helping people really develop and become the best version of themselves mm. while still realizing their potential for me is just the most fulfilling thing. So for someone that wants to come into an HR space, you know, to get the most out of it, you need to be someone that's really more outward focused than inward focused because that that in itself needs to be what fulfills you. And that in itself needs to be something that makes you want to wake up in the morning and that makes you excited about going onto campus and doing career days. You know, grad recruitment is not something they teach you at varsity. You learn HR, you learn about recruiting as a function, then you learn whether there is an aspect of grad recruitment that's slightly different, but you don't have a course on grad recruitment and grad yeah. recruitment on its own, it's, a, it's a completely different thing, right? Mm. Because you're not waiting for people, you're not waiting for an opportunity to be available, people to apply to the opportunity, no. You are being proactive. You are going yeah. out there marketing the company. You are going out there and trying to sell it to candidates so that they want to come and work for you. So those are the two, those are the key things is that grad recruitment is something that you learn really fully once you are entrenched in a company that has that function. You don't learn yes. it at school. But if you want to be in the HR space, you really need to be more outward focused than inward. And that's how you get your fulfillment in what you do. Wow, wow. Like, Bushale, I could literally speak to you the whole day, like <laughs> getting all the tips and tricks of, of, of graduate recruitment and how to conduct yourself in interviews and CVs. But you have done a phenomenal job by creating a YouTube channel where you discuss all these things and you give tips and tricks and, you know, what, what, what graduate recruiters are looking for and what companies are looking for. Yeah. Um, why did you decide to start the YouTube channel? And just give us a bit more details about how people can also access it. Oh, man. So my YouTube channel, um, it's Bothale Baile on YouTube. And I named the channel Get Corporate Ready. And why I started it was really because, you know, the last day that I was in the office on the first day of lockdown last year, as I left, I had this burning sensation inside me. And I heard something say to me, you, you made for more. You want to mm. impact more people. Um, and I didn't know what that meant at the time, but I resonated with it. And I thought, I'll figure this thing out. I don't know what it means, but I hear it and I acknowledge it. And, and okay, great. Um, and, and so as we kind of went through the lockdown period, I had a lot of virtual interviews. And I saw people, people don't know how to conduct themselves in interviews, particularly virtually. And what I then did after having probably about 50 different virtual interviews and seeing all the different mistakes people are making, 
I thought to myself, let me just put together a video, man, and just put it out, uh, seeing that we can't really meet people and engage with them one-on-one. I'm going to put it out so that more people just have the knowledge around, guys, when you come for a virtual interview, these are the five things that you need to know, Mm. right? Don't do this, don't do that, make sure this, make sure this, make sure that, right? And I put it out, and just the response of appreciation from people in terms of, oh, I didn't know this, and this is so valuable, and no one teaches this, and just how people responded to that ended up leading to me thinking, well, then how can I do more of that? And and how can I create a platform that really allows students and people to just know this is how you prepare yourself for an interview. This is the mindset you should have when you're at university. I've seen so many students go to university, come back, and they've had 60% average, and they're like, I want a job. And I'm like, do you know how many people have an 80% average? Do you know? Mm, <laughs> five years. <laughs> you spent five years at university just for 60% average, and, you've, and you've, you've shot yourself in the foot, you know, because of that. And I think the core thing for me, if I was to wrap up why I decided to do the YouTube channel, a lot of, from my experience, a lot of Black students that come from previously disadvantaged backgrounds don't know what they don't know, right? They don't have family and parents that have grown up in corporate to coach them, to teach them how to present yourself, how to show up, how to dress for an interview, what to say, what not to say. We don't have that as a function of not having had families that have grown up in a corporate setting so that we are hearing the conversations and understanding corporate from that perspective. Mm. And I was just really so driven to to make sure that that content was available to everyone. Everyone deserves an opportunity to get the kinds of jobs that they want to get. But for those that don't know what it takes, well, let me tell you what it's going to take. I've done grad recruitment for over 10 years. Let me tell you what it takes in any industry that you want to go into. I've seen it time and time again. These are the people that are successful in the roles that they want to be in. And so that for me was a burning desire because I just thought, There's so much youth that is unemployed right now. And it really is because they don't understand what it takes to be employable. Um, And so for me, that was really the crux of it. And once again, wanting to give back and wanting to change people's lives in terms of helping them realize their potential through knowledge and through knowing what to expect and what to do and the like. So that's why. Genuinely, I I mean, I've, I've, I've watched a few videos. I'm just like... It is true. I mean, I'm an employer on the other side, and I'm like, these are the mistakes people make when they do commit for interviews. So, no, no, love the work that you're doing. Okay, before we like speak for a whole hour, um, <laughs> this is a question I ask my guests. Um, since we are called the Superpower Podcast, as Bufale, what do you consider your superpower to be? In a nutshell, I'd say my superpower is really the ability to see people for more than what they actually see themselves as, mm. right? So, so my, my superpower's ability to engage with people and understand them from who they are, understand and be able to motivate them that they are more than what they think they are, um, and, and really help people and influence people in terms of through the way that I lead them and guide them in really becoming a better version of themselves. I don't know how else to articulate that 
But no, you've just, articulated it fine. Okay. okay. <laughs> no, you have. Um, no, and and, yes. and, it, and it's so like, um, I guess, like also part of the job that you do. So you're, you're actually living your purpose if if that's what you consider your superpower is. It's, it's beautiful to watch. So I absolutely love seeing people, you know, like live their passion, live, live their, their, their like what, what they, they believe in. And it's just so evident just listening to you. That's why I'm just like, the people at Bowman's are really lucky to have you. <laughs> <laughs> louder, say that louder. <laughs> Okay, if people want to get a hold of you, if they want to check out your YouTube channel, if they just want to connect with you, how do people um, get a hold of you? So the three main platforms that I'm on are LinkedIn, Instagram, and uh, YouTube. My YouTube channel is uh, at Bosale Paile, Instagram at Bosale Paile, and obviously in LinkedIn, you find me at Bosale Paile as well. Always keen to, to engage with people, um, so you are more than welcome to DM me and message me on any of those platforms and we'll certainly come back to you. Fantastic. I absolutely love this conversation, Botlale. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's really insane, like hearing someone just kind of live their purpose and just so passionate about it and just wanting to make the world a better place. So I uh, can't wait to see what you'll achieve in the years to come. And thanks for joining us in the, at the podcast. Thank you so much, Deboha. I appreciate it so much. Cheers, guys. Look at you. You made it all the way to the end. Thanks so much for checking out the Superpower Podcast and listening to an incredible story of the amazing woman that we have in the country. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts and like, comment, share on social media, share with your friends, share with your workers. Man, let's let's spread the message. Let's spread the love. Um, Till next time. Cheers.